Thanks so much for checking out this podcast from Anchor Church Southwest. We really hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources, or info, please check out our website, anchorchurch.com.au. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thanks, y'all, so much for uh, being here with us today. If we haven't met, my name's Arnaldo, uh, the pastor here at Southwest, and we are in the we're not in the middle. We are at the end, end of, a, of an eight-week series that I only preached half of because I was away, uh, called The Way, Lives Ordered Around the Way of Jesus. And in this series over the past eight weeks, what we've wanted to look at it, it are the practices of Jesus. What did he actually do? What did he give his whole life to? How can we pattern our lives, not just around the words of Jesus, but around the way of Jesus? We've wanted to emphasize, and this is every week, but uh, particularly through this series, we wanted to emphasize this truth, that Christianity, while distinctive in its thinking, Christianity, while distinctive in its thinking, is a way of life, not just a system of thinking, a system of philosophy. So that's been the primary focus, that our lives would look like the masters. If Jesus was living here today, if he was here in our age, our age of technology, what would his life actually look like? That's been the question. That's been our desire that we, Southwest, that use, that we all would see every area of our life as owned by Jesus and driven by a different vision than what we are sold today. And today, specifically, I want to point out just, uh, I, I want us to just grab hold of this idea that I found in a wonderful little book called Sabbath as Resistance. Walter Brueggemann, he says this, that in our own contemporary context of the rat race, and I don't think we need to work too hard. I don't think anyone in this room needs to work too hard to place ourselves there. That in the context of the rat race of anxiety that we live in today, the celebration of Sabbath is an act of both resistance and alternative. Resistance and alternative. And I want to say this before we begin. I'm going to pray in a moment, but I want to uh, confess here uh, that I'm, I'm with you. Uh, Sabbath has been something that my family and I have tried to practice for over five years, and it's difficult. It's not e- it hasn't been easy for us to enter in as a family with three small children, a wife who works full-time, and we're planting a church to enter into the area, into the practice of Sabbath. And so I want to say here that uh, this is something that we've been faithfully wrestling towards together as a family, and I want to invite you into that wrestle today. So help me as I pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that we have enough health and enough energy to be here, and I pray, Lord, that you would, in fact, meet us where we are, that we wouldn't try to be somewhere else, Lord, that we wouldn't pretend to be in a place that we're not, but that you would meet us powerfully right now wherever we are sitting. I know that there is a spectrum of experiences here in this room and a spectrum of belief and a spectrum of just uh, uh, different lives that coalesce here as the people of God. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be powerfully working in this room, that you would bring to life, Lord, those who, are, who may be far from you, that you would actually, Lord, set a fire in our hearts to be like you today. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me to forget the things that are not going to be helpful for your people, help me to remember the things that will be, and let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And the church said? And the church said? 1930. 
uh, the economist John Keynes, he wrote what is now a famous article entitled Economic Possibilities for Our Grandchildren. And his prediction there was that for us, right, for us, uh, I'm an older millennial, so, so for me and for the next generation, most of, of you guys, he's speaking about us. He was speaking to us. If you're sitting here today, this article that was written in 1930 is speaking to us. And his prediction was that we would be working 15 hours a week. That the problem of our age, the problem that these time-saving technological advancements would bring us would be leisure. That our problem today would be leisure. But let me tell you something, John Keynes. I'm glad that he kept his job as an economist and not as a prophet because that is not our experience, is it? That we're struggling with all the leisure that we have on our hands. We are feeling more overwhelmed than ever. We are feeling more stressed and stretched, on edge, over it, apathetic. And the question is, why do we experience our relationship with time in this way? Why do we always, constantly, aside from any medical conditions that we may have, aside from that, why do we constantly have this sense, this constant low-level fatigue in our lives? This, this ambient anxiety, this depression that often sits on us, a, a sense of a lack of enough hours in the day. Why do we constantly and consistently use the adjective busy when someone asks us how we're going? How are you going? Ah, oh, I'm busy, mate. Like, I'm good, I'm good, don't get me, I'm good, but I'm, just, I'm busy. <laughs> Rebecca Huntley at ABC Live, she noted this. She said, it's almost as if saying, if you have lots of time on your hands and aren't busy, it's almost an admission of failure, or it betrays a lack of imagination or ambition. It's almost wrong in our age to say that we're not busy. Busyness has become such a, a, a medal of honor for us. We feel needed, we feel wanted, we feel often important when we say we are busy. But there are two sides. There are two sides to this situation, to this epidemic of busyness and stress that we need to explore that I believe Sabbath is the answer to. On one side, we live in a culture, and we need to realize this. We need to wake up to this reality, that you live in a culture. You have been swimming in the water of productivity. We live in a culture that is obsessed with productivity. There is this immense external pressure from an entire system of being that's telling us, that is teaching us, that is discipling us, that if we do more and more and more, we will be more. That the more I do, the more I am. The motivation to do more is different from person to person here in the room. It could be that you believe the lie that you have to create your own identity, that you have to make your own identity. It could be that you believe the lie that the more you have, the happier you will be, that the more you consume, the happier you will be. It could be that you are still trying to please your parents. That you're working so hard because there's a voice that you were told when you were five years old that you are not enough, that you need to work harder, and you're still trying to prove yourself. Whatever habit, whatever bait rather, whatever bait is dangling at the end of that hook will change for us. The point is that we need to wake up. We, f we need to wake up. To the, to the destructive ways of being and thinking that lie behind that dangling carrot that promises us the good life. It's a system that is controlled by greed and endless 
consumption by false narratives, false ways of thinking about what it actually means, what it actually takes to be happy. And one, one, that's just one side of the equation, right? That, that we actually live in a culture that's swimming in this. It's not necessarily our fault, right? This is what we've been handed. This is, these are the cards that have been dealt to you. On the other side, we are woefully, let me say this, we are woefully under-equipped as a generation to deal with any kind of pressure. And what I mean is this, that a side effect of living during such prosperous times, which we thank God for, a side effect is that we often lack like inner resolve, like we often lack grit to make it through hard times. We often lack the grit to make it through regular times, to deal with any kind of pressure. So as soon as something, and I mean anything, gets hard, we bounce. As soon as we sense that anything is stretching us, we leave. And we'll often use the guise of self-care or limits to cover up the fact that we don't have a structure in our lives to deal with the demands of life. And I'm not talking about the kind of demands that are extraordinary, like severe or chronic pain or illness or disease. I'm talking about the pressures of just being able to hold down a job, right? Like, like just study. There's a certain lack of resilience, of pushing through, of stretching ourselves in our culture. Bless you, sister. And due to this perfect storm of the cultural forces outside of us that are pressing in on us to tell us to produce, 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 and a lack of resilience in us, there is a perfect storm. We find ourselves stuck. I, I mean, and maybe this is just me, but we find ourselves spiritually stuck. We find ourselves stuck mental health-wise, just stuck, anxious, and feeling often, listen, straight up, like just like trash. And the guilt, and then the shame sets in, the guilt that, that I'm feeling this way. The reality is that the problem is not, is not just me and it's not just the culture. It's that there is a perfect storm of this incredible, immense pressure over our lives today. And then just the lack of resilience that we have within ourselves. And the reality is that this problem, again, is both out there and in here. I love the way Ronald Rollheiser, he said this. He said today, a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate. Listen, we are living in a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or pray, but to simply have any interior depth whatsoever. We are distracting ourselves. We are distracting ourselves to death. We are distracting ourselves into a spiritual oblivion. Pathological busyness and distraction and restlessness are major blocks within our spiritual lives. It is both inside of us and outside of us. And so let me just say this simply as possible, that we cannot be pathologically and consistently busy and be deeply formed in Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus here today, one of the things that we want to continue to cultivate, that really, we're, I mean, we're playing second fiddle to the Holy Spirit here, that the Holy Spirit is cultivating in you is a desire to be like Jesus. 
right? We want to be like Christ. And what we need to understand is that we cannot enter into that life if we continue to be pathologically and consistently busy. And so we need to both resist this culture of busyness and we need an alternative way of dealing with the pressures of daily life. We need to resist the aspects of the external pressure and imagine a new alternative way of being. But before we move forward with what Jesus' answer to this is, listen, I, I get it. I, I, I get that we are all living with terrible bosses and terrible toxic work culture where your emails are following you. I mean, who has their work emails on their phone besides anyone? Is it just, is it just me? If you're not waiting, like, it, it's all of, it's most of us. We, we are hounded by this culture that says we all always need to be on, we always need to be contactable, we always need to be reachable. It's, it's all of us. And so I know that there are here, people here with small kids, and you're going to balk at this. Like, rest, Sabbath, no way. Right? There's people who are going to be uh, here pursuing medical degrees, and you're working in, in high corporate culture, and I, I get it. But I want to say this, that it is possible to find inner rest. It is possible to find inner rest. We need to resist the aspects of external pressure and imagine an alternative way. And so we want to go to the master. We have a king who has lived the way we have lived, who was also tempted by busyness. You know, one thing I was, I, I was taking a... Uh, a PCR, not a PCR test. We take so many PCR tests. CPR, CPR course, that's what it is. I was taking a CPR course, and I asked the question. I said, I've taken plenty of PCRs, but I was taking a CPR course, and I was asked the question, man, why don't, you know, like, if anyone should be rushing, it should be Ambos. Like, Ambos should be running to wherever they need to go. And, and I, I asked, uh, like, the Ambo, I said, why don't you guys run? Well, why don't you rush to the place that is needed most? He said, well, because if we rush, we make mistakes. And if I trip and I fall, then I'm done. And so often as the church, if we are to be the light of the world, if we are to be an example of what it means to live an abundant life, if we are to be an example of what it means to be new humans, and we're rushing just like everyone else, Jesus invites us into this life. I'm going to read from a different translation, from the message translation, where he says this. This is from the same text, Matthew 11. Are you tired? Amen. Worn out, burned out on religion. Jesus says, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, he says, and you'll live freely and lightly. Who's tired today? Like, like, who, like, I see some yawns. Who, and it's okay, if you fall asleep, that could be the, the thing that you need most right now. Who feels worn out, burnt out on trying to perform in order to be accepted by God and by others? Who can say here today in reality that they are experiencing life as light? Who's living freely? Who, and the question is, who wants to enter into this reality? Who believes and wants, to, wants this to be real for them? That we could actually live lightly. That we could actually live freely. 
And I don't mean if things were different for you, like if you were to quit your job or if you had different kids or more, more money or whatever. I'm, I'm speaking about now, like if you were to take a view of your life, like a drone-like view of your life as you hover over it, do you even think that it's possible, sitting where you are sitting, the life circumstances that you have, do you even believe that it is possible to enter into deep rest? Because let me remind you that this life is available to you. And if you're going to walk in the freedom that Jesus offers you, that freedom that you long for, the freedom from the tyranny of busyness, the tyranny of anxiety that that often produces, if you want that, let me tell you, listen, you need to believe it is possible. It is, it's actually available to you. Like this is not like, like guesswork here. Like it's available to you. And maybe the first step is pledging your allegiance to Jesus. Maybe if you're not following Jesus, the first step to entering into this new life isn't just trying on a few tricks or a a few new practices. It's actually learning to follow Jesus. The Bible promises that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is king, then we are what the Bible calls saved. And it's only then and then only that we can experience the life and the promises of Jesus as we are united to him. And what we realize is this, that busyness becomes one of the greatest obstacles to following Jesus. And I believe these three powerful verses show us the way. The words here used in the ESV and the NIV, some other different translations than the one that I just read, uh, use a, a different word called yoke. Right? A yoke that Jesus, Jesus calls us to take on a yoke, right? And a yoke was a farming tool. That is a yoke. Those are two ox, uh, oxen uh, and yoke. The, the thing that is on, on, their, on their necks. And the purpose of that was that a, a seasoned ox would be paired up, matched with an unseasoned, like a baby ox, like a new one, one that was just about to be sent to the field who didn't know what they were doing. And, and the point was that this seasoned, mature ox would show the younger ox the way to do it, the way to actually plow a field. And the, the picture that Jesus is giving us here is he's saying, I take on my yoke, like yoke yourself to me, not, not to the ways of the world, yoke yourself to me. I know how to do this, he's saying. I know how to live lightly and freely. Join me, he is saying. And this is the thing. This is the beauty, that Jesus will not force his yoke on you. This is all invitation. I know we may have been a part of church cultures that often force things on you, but let me tell you, Jesus does not do coercion. He invites And he is inviting you now. He is inviting you through scripture to put on his yoke, to put on his way of being. He doesn't offer us an escape from the daily grind, in fact. He offers us a new way of living, which is far more powerful. I love the way that Bruner says it. He says this, a yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we think tired workers need least. I don't need a yoke. Like, I, I need a mattress or a vacation or a mani-pedi, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift that he can give the tired is a new way to carry life. 
a fresh way to bear responsibilities for in the final analysis, at the end of all things, if we want to be realistic here, if we don't want to live 10,000 feet in the clouds, realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers you equipment. Instead of offering you escape, Jesus offers you equipment. You see, all that our culture can offer us are vacations. Time off, the weekend, Amazon Prime. All good things, all good things. But that's, that's basically it. That's, that's the world's consolation prize. That's our culture's consolation prize for the grind that never ends. The grind that produces much of the angst and anxiety in your lives. And when you come back, from that vacation, that family trip, you were more exhausted than when you left. Amen? Right? Like, I came back from New York exhausted. Like, more tired than I've ever been, I think, in my life. You know, this is true. And, and what do we have to show for it? For this consolation of culture, what, what do we have to show for it? A couple ten, a couple ten lines and, and, and that photo that everyone puts on the gram with, like, your feet in the sand and your legs... That's it. That's, that's, all, that's all we got. That's all we got to show for the, this prize of the grind. Vacations are good. Don't get it twisted. They're a good thing. They're a great thing. And I understand that in this room, there's a lot of grief. Like, that I want like, And it's okay to feel the grief of all those canceled trips that you've had for the past two and a half years. Some of y'all were supposed to be in Italy right now or something like that, right? I, I get it. That, that, that's, a, that's a real grief. That's not to be like, just swept under the rug. That's hard. But if that's all that we get, like if that's it, a pamper weekend at a spa, if that's all you think you need in order to care for your whole being, then listen, you're going to be chasing the wind, sister. We can't get away from the normal burdens of life by hiding behind self-care mantras and I am enough-isms. That's not going to work. It's not working. We need a fundamental reorientation that can sustain the life that God is calling us to live. A life of service to others. A life of giving of oneself. A life of activity in and for the kingdom of God, which includes doing the dishes, which includes that report at work, which includes all of your daily duties. Like, I'm not, we're not, we don't live two lives here. We don't live a spiritual life and a secular life. All of it is God's. All of it is kingdom work. But so often what I find that the first thing to go when we're feeling the pinch, when we're feeling the pressure, when we're feeling that anxiety that there's not enough time in our day, oftentimes the first things to go are prayer and scripture and community. And this isn't supposed to induce any kind of guilt on anyone here. And I understand, particularly for you shift workers, it is hard. I was a shift worker once. It feels like another life, like a lifetime ago. But I get it. It's difficult. I've worked night shift at warehouses and distribution centers. I, I get it. I, I, this is not to induce any kind of guilt. But outside of that, outside of those who literally cannot, you know, like be here on Sundays because you're literally at work, I, I just want to ask you, why do we often cut ourselves off for the thing that we need the most? to be with God's people, to be under the word, to sing together. 
where work that can and should be done on the other six days encroaches on the day that we are to gather under word and sacrament. The external pressures of busyness meet this internal lack of an ability to cope, and oftentimes the first thing that goes is our service to other people and our service in the body of Christ. So when we pull back, we don't show up, we don't give of our time, our talents, our treasure, our presence in this place is missed. The thing that will nourish your soul. And the question we need to ask ourselves is what can we actually do about it? And while there are several things that I can offer you, I want to offer you what I think is the most gospel-centered, most needed, and most neglected practice, and that's Sabbath. Sabbath is the fourth of the Ten Commandments, and when we hear commandments, we hear legalism. We hear, you're trying to get me to do something that I don't want to do. You're trying to get me to obey the law. And that is not what I'm trying to do. The Sabbath is the most gospel-centered practice. Let me tell you why. Because you are called to do nothing, and yet God still loves you. You're called to not do anything, like to produce nothing, to do of no- nothing at all that is going to be productive. And yet God sees you and he smiles on you. Sabbath, the Shabbat, the fourth commandment of God that that he gave his people in the, Israel, uh, in the desert at the foot of Mount Sinai about 4,000 years ago. I want you to remember what was happening in the life of the people then. The people of Israel were enslaved to a foreign land, to Egyptians. They were literally slaves. Now, we sign our way into slavery, right? When we sign that document at work to say, I am now an employee of yours. We feel that way anyway. And rest for them was not something that they knew. It wasn't natural for them to rest, much in like our own age. They had an enormous amount of external pressure to produce bricks. Not the kind of bricks on Top Boy or anything, like, like, like bricks, literal like bricks. Rest was not something that they knew. They were living in an oppressive system that the Israelites were rescued from, from the obsession of production laid on their shoulders. And when Moses tried to liberate them, I want to remind you, uh, they, they, were, they were enslaved for 400 years. Moses tries to come and liberate them. And as soon as he does that, it gets worse for them. Like these people were living in an oppressive system of, consup- of consumption by the Egyptians, but of production by them, by the slaves. And it's in this context of trauma, of overwork, of slavery, that this command was given to rest. It would have seemed ludicrous to them. You have to get this. It doesn't just seem ridiculous to you because of your work schedule. When this command was given, it would have been ridiculous to them. They had to learn how to rest. And when we think about the Ten Commandments, we often experience them as burdens to legalistically apply, but they're anything but. They are ways. Listen, the Sabbath is a a pathway. It, It is an invitation for you to enter into deep soul rest. This is not something for you to do so that you can think that you can earn your way into God's good graces. Let me give you a newsflash. You are already loved. You are already in God's good graces. They're not ways to get God to love us. They are ways to show us that God already does. Loves us enough that he would give us a way to relearn our humanity. That our humanity is not made up of making and consuming and so the most countercultural and life-transforming practice that we can take up is the Sabbath. And so let me just say up front, again, 
This is still an ongoing wrestle for me to pause, to stop. It's something I want to continue working on together. It's something I want to invite this entire church to enter into. So, the sermon begins now, the Sabbath. Simply put, simply put is this. The Sabbath is an ancient practice given to the people of God to not simply recover from their work or to get ready for work, but it's actually an invitation to enter into sacred time. To, to treat time differently. To not, you know, time is money, right? right? We know, like, that's just, of course it is. It's like, time is money. No, it's not. Time is sacred. Time is sacred. Time is a time to, it's something to enter into and to enjoy. And so the sacred time is marked out by four invitations that I want to invite you into. One is to simply Stop. Stop. Just pause. Stop the production for just a moment. Stop feeling so guilty like I do that when I'm not doing something productive, man, I feel like a waste. Like, what am I doing with my time? Like, I finished one sermon, you know, I can start the one that I'm preaching four weeks from now. There's this, there's this constant gnawing at our souls to continue to do and to do and to do. There's always something more to do. And we don't stop when the work is done. We stop because we stop and leave things undone. Get off the hamster wheel of this ceaseless work, thinking about work, thinking about your emails, the reports, the programs, the plans, the thinking that it's wrong to not be productive. I know that you feel guilty when you stop. Or, or, or maybe it's just me. But the invitation to stop is a gift because as we stop, we're reminded of the central truth that the world does not revolve around you. It's okay to pause. It's okay to leave that project unfinished for 24 hours. The world's not going to deteriorate without you, by the way. Let me just remind you of, of that beautiful truth that the world is not on our shoulders. It is not on my shoulders. It's not on yours. We have to learn to stop. The invitation is to stop. That's the first invitation. And it's a reminder that we don't have to produce in order to be loved. Hear that. You don't have to produce in order to be loved. And every single week, we actually have an invitation to not only just think it, but to do it, to actually stop. The second invitation is simply to rest. Andy Crouch, he said this in his book about resting. There's perhaps no single thing that could, help, uh, that, that could better help us recover Jesus' lordship in our frantic and power-hungry world than to allow him to be Lord of our rest as well of our work. The invitation is not to get into some vegetative state of stopping, into a, a state of mindless scrolling, a state of, of, of just consuming Netflix. That's not, who feels, who feels rested after binging? Anybody? Nah, don't lie. I've binged. Has anyone else Binged on a show on, on Netflix? No? Maybe, maybe Hulu's your thing or Amazon Prime's your thing. Maybe, maybe I can get away from this one because I don't have Netflix. Whatever it is, 
Resting doesn't mean that we just stop to endlessly consume because you are exhausted and you feel terrible about yourself, don't you? Like I do. We feel awful. And I get it. Listen, we have three kids. Sabbath is a struggle. We've been trying to practice this for five years. But in our start and stop journey with Sabbath, Catherine and I and the three kids, we found that sometimes the gift of Sabbath, of stopping, of of learning to rest, it feels like unwrapping that thing that you've been waiting for all year on Christmas. And other Sabbaths, it feels like you got socks for Christmas. Like It's just like, oh, is this it? Yeah, this is this is it. And, and the, the, the issue is so often for us is that we have this picture of what rest looks like. We have this Instagram reel in our minds that this is what it looks like. And if it doesn't look like this, oftentimes rest feels ordinary. The point is this, that we structure our lives on the Sabbath to enter into this gift of rest. I don't want to be overly simplistic because we're going to all experience different life situations. If you're parents with children, if you're experiencing chronic pain or illness or caring for elderly parents, if you're working around the clock on shift work, if you are in an environment where the expectation for you is that you're working all the time, students who are just trying to make it through university, it's hard. Rest seems virtually impossible, but I want to say that as followers of Jesus, even in the midst, let me tell you this, that even in the midst of the most challenging life situations, deep rest is available. It's available to us. It, 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 it truly, truly is. And when we talk about rest, rest, again, is not just an escape from life. It is, true rest is, is entering, listen, Rest is not an escape from life. Rest is entering into God's care for you, entering into God's care for your life. It's an invitation alongside stopping. And the third one is this, is delight. One of the scariest questions that I I remember years ago, people asking me is, what what do you do for fun? I'm like, I I don't know. Like, I I, I don't have time for fun. Like, like, it was so difficult for me years ago to actually answer the question, what do you delight in? Like, I don't know, like reading. I, like, I'm, I'm boring. Maybe I just have a problem with being boring than, than not knowing what I delight in. But what do you actually do for fun? Like, I want you to ask yourself the question right now. I know for some of you already know who, who's thinking golf, right? But for, for the rest of us, what, what do we do? What can we do for fun? What do you delight in? For, others, for some, it's going to be cooking a meal. For others, it's going to be quiet time away from everyone with a book and a coffee. For others, it's going to look very, very, very social. However it is, however it is that you fill up your soul, what, what recharges you? Can you enter into that? Find something to delight in that's not just scrolling on TikTok, that's not an escape, but as equipment to actually help you through life. Find something to delight in and ask the Spirit to help you discover what that is. And finally, contemplate. The final invitation of the Sabbath is contemplation. Contemplate on the ways that God is coming to you as you say yes to stopping, as you say yes to resting, as you say yes to delighting. It's an invitation to scripture, to meditation. It is an invitation to both resist the powers outside of us and to give us an alternative for life. Taking up the practice of Sabbath as resistance, it helps us to stand up against the forces 
that are against us, saying no to this economy of production, this endless cycle that says we have to do more and more and produce more and more, and in the end, what it does, it ravages our soul and the world. It's resisting the deforming influence of the culture of consumption. It resists the lie, listen, that you, the lie that says you are what you own. It's resisting coercion. It's resisting this idea of multitasking, which is a lie anyway. It's resisting these external forces, but it's also an alternative. It's it's an alternative way of being in the world, not just of resisting it. A new way of being human. The Sabbath allows you to work from a different place, from a different center, from the center of God's love, not from the center of having, having to earn love. We don't escape from our commitments to each other, our commitments to our families, our commitments to show up. Why? Because the story out of which we live, the story of God, says that the Sabbath is a gift that we no longer listen. If you hear anything, forget everything I've said. The Sabbath teaches you this, that you no longer need to prove yourself. That your identity is not in your production. That through your trying, through your ceaseless work, you're saying with your life, I matter, I count, I'm worthy of being here. But let me tell you already that in Christ, as you enter into a relationship with him, you already are. You're free now, free to work and free to rest. You're free to binge and you're free to grind because you're not using those things as a structure to get through life. The hardest working people should be Sabbath people. This is not a call to laziness. It is not a call to quit. It is, not, it is a call to fulfill what you said you would do. It is not a call to bypass hard things. This is not a call to escape or to make cheap excuses. This is a call to be the people of God for the sake of the world. Our purpose here at Southwest is not just to enter into the benefits of what it looks like to be with Jesus. It is actually to be a people formed for the sake of the world. The church at rest is a sign pointing toward the risen Christ. It is not an end in and of itself. We are a light shining the life of Christ in a dark and tired world. Sabbath is countercultural living in, in a world where the overall sales, this blew me away, in a world where the overall sales of various energy drinks such as Monster, Red Bull, Rockstar have increased them 5,000%. I'm not trying to induce any guilt for anyone who had a Red Bull this morning, by the way, but 5,000% since 1999, embodying Sabbath offers a witness and a context for the conversations of eternal importance with a broken and lost and tired world. So this is my invitation for you today from all of this. Jesus says this, walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And if there's one way that we can learn to structure our lives to keep company with Jesus, It is to practice the Sabbath as a way to enjoy God's love, not as a way to earn it. So really quickly, I want to give you just a couple, I I hope this is practical for you, just a couple practical ways that we can begin to slowly enter into this practice of Sabbath. Choose a 24-hour period. 
whatever it is. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter which 24 hours it is, but choose 24 hours. For us and my family, we go the traditional route of 6 p.m. Friday to 6 p.m. Saturday, and you're going to simply have to experiment with this. For all you type ones and you perfectionists, it's okay to choose one and change it up. It's okay to simply try. And after choosing your 24-hour period, you can ask the questions. Ask yourselves these questions. What activities do I find delight in? What, who energizes me? The right people and the wrong people could drain a Sabbath. How can I organize the rest of my week? How can I plan my week to make sure that I honor my 24 hours of stopping, of resting, of delighting, of contemplating? And is there something new that I want to learn about God during this time? And, and what are some of the things that I need to avoid during these 24 hours. There, there, there are things that may distract you or, you know, like are anxiety inducing. Maybe it's the, the practice of like shutting your emails down for 24 hours. Just start there. And I'm not asking anyone to jump into the deep end of the pool. Just begin to dip your toes. You choose 24 hours, you ask the questions, and you start where you are. The call here is not to play some ill-fitting practice. The call here is to enter into a new way of living. And we do what we can, not what we can't. We do what we can, not what we can't. We can stop working nonstop when we realize that there is a God who is caring for us and the world nonstop. You can actually learn to do this. You, you can. I, I know it may seem impossible to a lot of you right now. You can actually learn to enter into deep soul rest by beginning to practice the Sabbath. Sabbath is both resistance against the powers that would deform us. It's an alternative way of being the people of God for the sake of the world. And we can enter into this life that is free and that is light confidently and wholeheartedly because we're never asked to do what we can't, only what we can. And we take these small, tiny little steps towards God in faithfulness, and we can actually create something beautiful. Like your life is a gift to the world. So maybe a lot of us have grown up in churches that said, all you are is a dirty, rotten sinner. You're worth nothing. I grew up in that kind of environment. Your life is the avenue through which God wants to bless the world. Do you realize that? That as you sit here, if you follow Jesus, your very life, your life circumstances are the very things that God wants to show off himself to the world. And he wants to invite you into a time of rest and as we take small faithful tiny little steps my encouragement to you is that you would just simply listen put one foot in front of the other knowing that none of this is earning you a damn thing because everything has been given you given to you in Christ my encouragement is just let's get after what is ours in Christ let me pray for y'all. Father, we thank you again for your goodness to us. We thank you that you are seeking, Lord, to do a new thing in us. You are seeking to 
make us, not, you know, not, not, not just to renovate, not just to give us a bit of a facelift, but Lord, you want to make something new through our lives. And so we just pray, Lord, that we would be able to take small, simple steps to be a people of Sabbath resistance, that we would resist this culture of busyness, that we would shore up, Lord, the resources that you've given us, that we would be a people of resilience, of strength, of beauty, and that together we would build something beautiful. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' holy name.